Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features Pastor Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, September 5th as a final installment of our three-part series, Stronger Together. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you're a part of FaithBridge Online, we invite you to join us at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Pastor Dan. We are uh, Mike and Amanda, and we've been at FaithBridge for 13 years. I'd spent my summers during college as a Christian camp counselor, and yet somehow uh, my own faith seemed a bit shallow um, despite all that. I was a believer, but I was struggling. I had some, uh, I guess, church wounds. I would say there was room for growth. <laughs> hey, so we're um, Josh and Jennifer Love, and we've been at FaithBridge since 2006. We have known the Brosses uh, for about eight or nine years. We were in small group together, grow group together, and we uh, were kind of all beginning to get to know one another. Um, and early on in our friendship and as grow group members together, um, they had an accident with their son, with Everett. He fell and hit his head on the floor in just the wrong way, just the wrong speed. So I pick him up and uh, he cried for about 30 seconds and then literally I saw his eyes roll back in his head and I saw the whites of his eyes and he just lost consciousness and I yelled to Mike to get uh, to call 911. I put him on the kitchen table. Paramedic was like, okay mom, uh, we're gonna lifelight him downtown. You can meet us down there at the hospital. I just kept praying, God, you got this, because I don't. <laughs> I remember Amanda calling me and Mike calling you and everything just kind of stopped in a place where what are we going to do for these people that we really didn't know that well at the time. Right. Doctor came in and said he needed immediate brain surgery. And so, of course, we're praying. I put out a text to our grow group to pray alongside them, and it was just a snowball. And I think that was a huge thing, not only that they had such a big thing in their life that had happened, but also to realize how many people were lifting them in prayer. It was just this this voice, this thought that came through that said, I got this. Whether your son is on earth or in heaven at the end of the surgery, I got him. I have him. I think one of the things that was very evident that I remember to this day, I know exactly where we were driving and what, what Mike told me. And when the first thing he said to me was, hey man, first of all, brother, I need you, we need your prayers. Um, one of the things that I'll tell you that Mike brought to our, our grow group that was really something that kind of became a foundation is the term prayed up. Um, and it really became a stepping stone, not just for them and us, but for, for our grow group. And it was, it was very awesome to see when he needed to be prayed up, that's the first thing he asked for. I think it maybe took more to shake us after that because many times I would get upset about a situation. <laughs> Mike would say something like, uh, God got us through brain surgery for our infant son. We can, we can handle this. You know, when you start a grow group, right? So we've, we've done this before and you start a grow group in the first few weeks or first couple months, you're filling each other out, right? You really don't have walls yet. You don't have a roof. And then you have this event that really has to be the catalyst for just putting you together. Because there's no options. When, 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 you've, got an, when you've got a group and you're all in a community and, and God, 
is like, this is what we know is how God called community to be, right? And so it was just like throw some walls up, put a roof on this thing. And then it was like went from nothing to a fully built group just like that. The uh, analogy we were given a while ago was the, the rope holders, uh, the four friends who cut through a roof and dropped their, their friend down to be healed by Jesus. Um, I mean, we had, we had rope holders. Those were the guys that we called like, hey, um, all of this has gone down. And um, I don't even remember what we asked for, but the answer was yes. And um, I don't understand how you get through things like that without community. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a great story? Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Bridge. So glad that you've chosen to worship with us today, whether you're here in the live service over in our communion service, or if you're coming to us online, it's great to have you in worship as we wrap up uh, our sermon series that we've been calling Stronger Together. For the last two weeks, Pastor Ken has talked to us about worshiping together, about serving together, and today I want to talk to us about growing together. Basically talking about uh, how much Jesus loves us, how much we need Him, and how much we need each other. To guide our thinking, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. That's the second book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 2 if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one, and you can consider that a gift from us to you if you do not presently own a Bible. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather in your house, to worship and lift up the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray now as we turn to your written word, your Holy Spirit, just as you promised, would come to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I was in seminary a long, long time ago, 
I spent one semester serving as a part-time chaplain in the Cardinal Hill Rehabilitation Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. Cardinal Hill is a hospital that specializes in uh, treating stroke victims and those who have sustained injuries of the neck and spinal cord. And without question, that semester was one of the most sobering experiences of my whole life, ministering to people who, in the blink of an eye, essentially had received a life sentence of paralysis. I remember one young man in particular. He had gone swimming with a group of his friends in a nearby river, a very familiar story, dove into water that was too shallow, hit his head, and just like that, he went from an individual full of health and vitality to becoming a quadriplegic for the rest of his life. As you can imagine, I spent a lot of time that semester thinking about paralysis, thinking about the ramifications of receiving that life sentence. And the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me, there are many types of paralysis in life. Some of them physical, but many of them not. And those that are not physical, I observed, can be every bit as confining, constraining, every bit a life sentence as a physical paralysis. Some suffer with the paralysis of fear and worry. They've, they've lost the muscle of trust. They're not sure if God is going to come through for them, and so they resort to being paralyzed with fear. Others are in the grip of the paralysis of addiction. They have lost the muscle of self-control. Life has become too great, too hard, too difficult. They're grasping for anything but God to bring them the peace they so desperately need. And before you know it, they're paralyzed by the substance, by the behavior. It has an unrelenting grip in their lives. There's the paralysis of depression. Losing the muscle of hope. Where all closes in and life becomes dark and we begin to wonder, does it have meaning and purpose? Some have the paralysis of, of poor judgment. The loss of the muscle of wisdom. For some reason, they just can't quite seem to get their act together. They make decisions based on anything but the source of all wisdom the Word of God, and before they know it, they find themselves in circumstances that are unbreakable, confining. They have received a life sentence of paralysis. Lots and lots of kinds of paralysis out there, but the one thing that they all have in common, every single one of them, that relates all of them, is that they are rooted in sin. Now, I'm not talking about particular acts of sin, particular behaviors. I'm talking about the condition of sin. Not that we do sinful things, but that we are sinful creatures. In other words, we have separated ourselves from God, the source of life, the source of abundant life, the source of hope and peace. The one who can bring those things to us, the ones 
who can prevent us from falling into paralysis. When we separate ourselves from him, our fate is almost inevitable. We will find something that holds us back. Sin has that effect in our lives. And regardless of our circumstances, behind each and every single paralysis, physical or otherwise, looms the larger problem of sin. That's exactly why the first thing Jesus said to this man was, your sins are forgiven. Before he even acknowledged the man's paralysis, he goes straight to the heart of the matter, addressing what is the true issue, the real problem, the fact that this man was separated from God. The paralyses that we deal with in this life will be over when this life is over But the paralysis of sin and the separation from God is an eternal problem. Jesus understood that. And just like this man, we have no hope in the face of sin and whatever paralysis we face apart from two things. And the first of those, the most important, is the love and the compassion of Jesus. Therein lies our hope. Now, as Mark, the author of this gospel, is prone to do, he is maddeningly scarce with details. His is the shortest of the four gospels, and if he doesn't have to say it, he doesn't say it. In this story, we never learn the man's name. We don't know how he came to be paralyzed, how long he was paralyzed. We don't know anything about him. And while I suppose those things would be interesting from a historical perspective, I think Mark left them out on purpose. I think he left them out because he wanted to clear away any of the distracting brush that may prevent us from gaining the fundamental truth in this passage. Like all the biblical writers, Mark tells us what we need to know, not necessarily what we want to know. And what we need to know is this, there was a man in Capernaum who was paralyzed, and he and his friends believed that Jesus was their only hope. That's the fundamental truth that Jesus wants us to take a hold of. As Jesus pointed out to the teachers of the law, not only did he have the right, but he also had the authority and the ability to forgive sin. Only Jesus has the authority and the ability to deliver us from our problem of sin. Only Jesus can break the power of sin that causes us to do things we really don't want to do, to say things we really don't want to say. Only Jesus has the power and the authority to overcome the inevitable consequence of sin, which is death. Because you see, only Jesus lived a sinless life. Only Jesus walked before God in complete holiness and righteousness and purity. Only Jesus was able to die in our place. A brutal, horrible death on a cross. And only Jesus came back from the dead three days later. Revealing to the world that in fact, yes, He is the Lord of life. He is the victor over sin and the victor over death. And there is nothing that can stand before him. 
And when we are in a relationship with Jesus, when we have restored that relationship with God through Jesus, we have power in our lives to break free from paralysis, to break free from the things that lead us down paths we don't want to go, that hold us tight in situations and in circumstances and in behaviors that we just as soon be done with. And here's the beautiful thing about it, folks. It is ours for the taking. We don't have to do a single thing to receive this incredible gift that Jesus wants to give to every single one of us. He wants to deliver us from sin and the effects of sin and the consequences of sin. The the, the fact of the matter is this. Jesus wants to give it to us more than we want to receive it. But it's important for us to be reminded we don't have to jump through any spiritual hoops. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to impress Jesus. There's not anything that we have to do other than come into his presence. You know, I I find it interesting that in this entire story, the man, the paralyzed man, never utters a single word. Not one. All he had to do, all he had to do, was to be brought into the presence of Jesus. And generous, loving, kind Jesus instantly discerns what his problem is. Yes, you're paralyzed, but son, even more important, your sins are forgiven. Some of us are here today And you don't know this Jesus. You don't know this Jesus any more than this paralyzed man did. But you find yourself in his presence this morning. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that's a divine appointment. What are you going to do in his presence? Are you going to open yourself up and receive the forgiveness, the healing? The cleansing, the freeing power that only he can bring? Or are you going to close it off one more time? There's some of us here that do know Jesus. Perhaps we've even known him a long time. But for whatever reason, there's this paralysis that has crept into our lives. And it's got a hold of us. And try as we may, we cannot shake it. Whether it is worry, depression, addiction, anger, whatever the case may be, we don't have it within us to do anything about it. I don't think it's an accident that you're here either. We are in the presence of Jesus in this worship service and there is something that he wants to give to each and every one of us. It's not something that we typically do, but I want to pause here in the middle of this sermon and pray. Because I believe so fervently that Jesus does want to do something in our lives. And so I'm going to ask you in the quietness of your own heart to bow your head. And to place yourself before the Lord of life. Jesus Christ. And if you're meeting him for the first time. All you have to do is say to him, Lord. 
I do receive your forgiveness. I do receive your life. And if you know Jesus, but there's this paralysis that's just hanging on and you can't get rid of it, all you have to do is place yourself before him. He sees it already. He knows it already. And he says to you in this moment, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Rise up. Take your mat and go home. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness that we do not deserve, but that you pour out so freely. Amen. Amen. Yet we're just as helpless as this man apart from two things. The first of those is the love and the compassion of Jesus. The second one is the love and the compassion of others. The love and compassion of others. You know, this, this man obviously was, was hindered in getting to Jesus by his paralysis. He physically could not get himself to wherever Jesus was. But there was something else in his way too, and that was the crowd. The text tells us the crowd was so big that it overflowed out of the house into the courtyard, into the street. And there was very little hope even for a healthy person to get next to Jesus, much less this man, it was basically impossible for him to get into the presence of Jesus. But he had four friends who made the impossible possible. And because of their love for this man, and because of their compassion for this man, they carried him from the cell, the prison of his home, and brought him to the feet of Jesus. I say they did it because of love, because there certainly wasn't anything else for them to gain in this whole situation, except maybe a lawsuit from the owner of the house, who's suddenly finding a hole big enough to lower a man through. Now, they weren't worried about things like that. Their hearts were filled with love and compassion for their friend, and they knew, they knew Jesus is our hope. Jesus is his hope. And we'll do whatever we have to do to get him there. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do for one another. To love each other so much that we'll do whatever we have to take to bring one another into the life-changing presence of Jesus. Maybe you haven't bumped up against it yet but I can just about guarantee you if you live long enough one of these days you're going to bump into something that is bigger than you bigger than your family and you're going to need brothers and sisters to come around you just a little less than a year ago my family and I moved through the most painful season of our lives. It was on October 30th of 2020. My brother David called me at 6 a.m. 
I was at the gym and I saw that he had called and so I texted him back and I said to him, is this urgent or can I call you later? Urgent was the one word reply. So I immediately called him. And when he answered the phone, he said words I will never forget. He said, our Bitsy. It's gone. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my brain, my brain around, my mind around. What? What do you mean she's gone? He said, she was driving to mom and daddy's house and she was hit and she didn't survive. Bitsy was our sister, is our sister. And, and oh, it was bad enough to lose your own flesh and blood. But it, as our parents have grown older, they're both 95 now, uh, Bitsy had become the organizing center of our family. It's Bitsy and four brothers, a rose amongst four thorns. <laughs> And Bitsy was the one that, through whom all the communication passed. <sighs> you know, boys are no good at that kind of thing. And Bitsy was the one that remembered all the birthdays and all the anniversaries. And Bitsy was the one that went to all of the graduations and all of the weddings of our many nieces and nephews. And as a nurse, Bitsy was the one who took the lead in deciding how best to care for our parents and scheduling who's going to do what, which one of the boys would take turns at this or that. And she was the one that took our parents to their appointments and can understand what the doctor was saying. And on and on and on. And just like that, Bitsy was gone. And I tell you without shame, I needed my brothers and sisters. Needed them. And they were there. They were there with food and with cards and expressions of sympathy. They were there with a shoulder to cry on. They were there for me to pour out the pain like I have never known. And as we've moved through this experience, I've asked myself over and over, how, how do people do this apart from the body of Christ? How do they make it alone? I don't know. It was not Jesus' intention for us to live alone. Jesus did not intend for us to muddle through this world alone, making it the best we can. No, he has given us the gift of one another. Not only has he given us himself, but he has given us one another for a reason to love each other, to support each other, to be the body for one another. And I cannot begin to tell you what a blessing it was to receive the love and the support that came our way. Not only, of course, is it a great blessing to be the recipient of all that the body of Christ has to offer, but it's... <laughs> A blessing beyond description to be able to give that support to someone else. 
As Scripture says, we are called to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside one another when something's happened that we just can't carry by ourselves, to come alongside and say, I'm there for you. I love you. I'm going to walk with you. I am going to be the hands and feet of Jesus for you. That's what we're called to be for one another. Maybe you say to yourself, well, I, you know, I... I don't really have anything special to offer someone else. I seriously doubt those four men had anything special to offer their friend other than their muscle, their determination, and their love. And that was all that it took for their friend to find healing in the presence of Jesus. But as as is so often the case, the man got so much more than just physical healing. You know, we, we never know, we never know what God is going to do through a single act of kindness. There is no way in the world these men could have known that not only was their friend going to be physically healed, but he was also going to be spiritually healed and set free to eternal life with his Lord and Savior. We never know what God is going to do through the love that we extend to someone else. Just a few moments ago in that uh, beautiful video of the Bross family, their grow group came around them, loving them, doing what grow groups are supposed to do. But they had no idea of the blessings that were yet to come. Take a moment and watch the screen for the rest of the story. I I was a believer in high school. I had some friends from a different church that had a very aggressive approach to trying to bring people to Christ. And so it was, I got bombarded a lot with, Amanda, are you saved? Well, are you sure you're saved? Well, are you baptized? Because if you're not baptized, I'm not sure if you're really saved. And it did um, create this uh, sort of rebellion in me. Well, I'm going to show them. I just won't get baptized because I don't have to for, for God to love me. And while that is a truth, I, in hindsight, I've realized that that sort of placed uh, some roadblocks in my relationship with Christ. So little by little, that those roadblocks were chipped away, both through our marriage and encouragement from Mike, um, and then, you know, growing in a grow group. In the last few years, I just realized that I had a desire. I wanted to be baptized. I was all about Amanda's baptism, but at no point was I seeing that baptism as a beginning of her faith. I wanted people to see that she was already this incredible godly woman who was just a a powerhouse of faith and someone that I looked up to. So I just wanted to try to write something that would make that crystal clear. I first met Amanda, fast forwarding, in 2005 playing saxophone next to her in the Houston Symphonic. We began dating and so we had a front row seat to each other's walk in Christ. In over 15 years of sharing life with Amanda, I have seen her faith in Christ grow and her relationship with Christ strengthen. 
I've seen the love of Christ shine in Amanda when our kids required surgery. I've seen the joy of Christ in Amanda and happy in hard times. I've seen the peace of Christ in Amanda when the worries of our world surround us. The patience of Christ in Amanda shines as she mentors students and nurtures her own children. I have felt the kindness of Christ in Amanda when I fall. Amanda shows the goodness of Christ when she finds just the right moment and just the right way to support those around her. I have seen the faithfulness of Amanda as she pursues his truth in her early morning quiet times. I've seen the gentleness of Christ in Amanda when she helps our kids through their worries, fears, and tears. I have seen the self-control of Christ as she stewards our money. This baptism is a public declaration of what is clear to all who meet her, that Amanda Abbott Ross is a godly woman chasing Christ's own heart. you profess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Yes, I do. All right, then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. See, that grow group had no idea that in addition to the love and support that they would provide coming around the Brosses when their little boy was in so much trouble, they had no idea that the blessings would extend on to mom taking another significant step in her spiritual life and being baptized. We just never know what our love is going to do for somebody else. And that's why we emphasize community so much here at FaithBridge. Being involved in some opportunity to be in connection with others, whether that be on a serve team together or in a grow class together or in a grow group together. Because we have experienced and we have seen what that love and support does. In just a moment, I'm going to, to pray for us and once I'm finished, you'll be dismissed, and I really encourage you, make your way out to where the tents are. Stop and get a taco, but keep going. <laughs> and if you're not in a grow group, go to the adult ministries tent and find out about grow groups and grow classes. If you're not on a serve team, go to one of the other tents and find out how you can serve. Get connected. Paralysis comes to us all. But we all have access to the love and compassion of Jesus and the love and compassion of others. Let's pray. Lord, we stand amazed at your generosity, at your goodness, at your overwhelming love that you would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We receive it today. Build strong relationships in your body here at Faith Bridge. Prompt those of us, Lord, who are not currently connected to move toward that so that we may all receive and give in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.